All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Providence POV. I'm Joe. He's Peter. We're back again. It's Thursday, November 30th. You guys will be listening to this on Friday, December 1st. We have a good one for you tonight. We're going to be going through Providence's 34-point victory over Wagner and taking a look ahead at Saturday's matchup against URI, the in-state little brother school, the big rivalry of Rhode Island. But first and most importantly, Peter, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. The Friars are 5-0 and at home, which is always good. 6-1 and on the season. And obviously a 34-point win, no matter who you play, is always good. They took care of business, and I get it. It's Wagner. But it's better to come on a Thursday night or when you guys are listening Friday morning. Uh, it's better to come on and talk about a nice big win instead of us having to kind of break down a close win. So they took care of business at home. Uh, and then they didn't kind of look ahead to the URI Oklahoma stretch that's coming up this weekend and early next week. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great opening statement there. You did what you'd had to do and you took care of business. You and I talked about this on Monday night, uh, in our last show that this was the perfect opportunity for Providence to get right for guys who were struggling, who guys who weren't scoring as much to kind of take a step back and, you know, more or less take advantage of an inferior opponent, which they did. Um, That one, that game wasn't really close. Providence ran away with it one by 34. Um, It was headlined by ticket gains. Um, He was just great. I I mean, we we reverse jinxed him in the best way, Peter. Yeah. Yeah, no, he was, look, seven for 10 from the field, but seven for 10 from three. So every shot he took was from downtown. And look, you and I were not overcritical, a little bit maybe more off-air than on-air about ticket gains, but if you're being honest with players, he, he was struggling. Like Offensively, he was struggling, and I'm assuming if you and I went up to him on campus and asked him, are you struggling this season shoot, shooting? And he would be like, yeah, 100%, because he was. He was shooting around 15% from three uh, heading into Tuesday's game against Wagner, and that just wasn't – who he is in the past two years at George Mason when he shot 40% and 34% from three. So we knew he could be better. And I didn't think he'd be this good. Like anything was falling. If you're 70% from three and you're taking 10 threes, that is a Steph Curry level shooting performance. And he needs this. And we don't need ticket gains to drop 21 points every week. It would be awesome, but that's not kind of his role in this team. But I would like for him to become a consistent three-point shooter and he was, and it, it was it was a nice sight to see because you can definitely, obviously we don't personally know him, but you can <laughs> probably tell uh, or just his body language and just obviously last couple games, like he, look, he was struggling and it was kind of clear and evidence. Even if you didn't watch the game, you just looked at the stats and I think he needed this. And it's a good way to get out of your funk and kind of maybe get a little steam heading into the weekend. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think, um, obviously from a morale standpoint, I'm happy for ticket. Um, but in terms of like a program fit standpoint, uh, I feel like ticket, even when he's not on, uh, offensively has the defensive energy and attention to be a fryer favorite, right? Like he hustles the same way that Al Durham did. And Al Durham was more of an offensive guard. And so far this season, ticket has been more of a defensive presence for us, but to have things click for him on offense. I'm super happy for the kid. Um, there was somebody on Twitter. I think it was after the Atlantis trip or not Atlantis after the Bahamas trip. Um, 
I'm not quite sure when it was, but somebody tweeted like when the shots aren't falling for ticket, he's just going to give it all on defense. And he actually mm-hmm. quoted it. So I'm sure he was aware that, you know, shots weren't falling. And like you said, not every night he's going to give you 21, but for him to produce in the way that he did, one is a huge fresh of breath air for him as a person and him as a player. But two, in terms of our team and three-point shooting, I think that takes the pressure off of a lot of other guys to have to kind of force and chuck threes. And, you know, if we have a perimeter threat who's consistently hitting, then other guys can get back to their games. <clears throat> Devin Carter. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I, I, I'm happy for Ticket. I thought he had a great game. Um, obviously, he's the headline of this game because, you know, he came out of the gates hot. Yeah, and I think I want to talk about Devin Carter because you just mentioned him and someone that you and I have been pretty critical of, of Devin Carter, and it's definitely a shooting uh, woes. Not everything else defensively or rebounding, all that stuff. But this does take a little bit of pressure off Devin Carter, and I thought Devin Carter was more efficient and clearly mm-hmm. by his stats. But he kind of you said this off air, Joe. You said he let the game come to him, or some sometime somewhere in that stance. Yes. Like he let the game come to him. He didn't force anything. And when you have ten points, thirteen rebounds, six assists, and only two turnovers, you're kind of flirting a little bit with a triple double. But he was three for four from the field. He only took one three. Like I'm not going out on the limb and say Devin Carter shouldn't take threes, but we've seen in a couple games this year, Georgia game when he took 12, that just is not the recipe for success for him and for this Providence team. So I think by ticket gains kind of, look, he's not going to make seven threes every game. So it's not going to be a consistent thing, but him scoring or giving you a little bit more offense kind of lets Devin Carter kind of do his thing defensively rebounding and then get to the basket and not have to force outside shots. Yep. I I couldn't agree with you more. Um, That is exactly what I said in off air. So you were right. Uh, He let the game come to him. uh, And I think you hit on all the the key points there. Uh, One thing I'll add is that I think over the stretch of time in which Jaden Pierre has been uh, injured and, you know, we've kind of been juggling Garway at the point and Corey Floyd at the point with Devin Carter at the point. I think Carter's just been trying to do too much. He's trying to run and facilitate an offense or assist and try and help facilitate the offense. He's trying to shoot from deep. He's trying to score. He's trying. And we know that he can do it because as much as we as critical as we are being of him, he's proving us wrong night in and night out. But the reason this game against Wagner is so different from the trend of the past couple of games is because he let the game come to him. He didn't four shots. He only took one three, which is drastically lower compared to what he's been doing the rest of the season. He took four shots total from the field. He made all three of his two-point attempts. He was four or five from the stripe, 13 defensive rebounds, which is awesome. And he led the team in assists. So letting the game come to him. We saw the Devin Carter of old. He had a couple of steal and scores. Um, I just, I I thought that it was refreshing to see him kind of settle back into his role and not have to, you know, have eight different arms trying to tackle eight different things at the same time. You made a good point on the point guard situation. Obviously, Jalen Pierre's missed. He missed basically all of Kansas State. We played four, I think he played four minutes in that game. He missed all of Georgia. Mr. All of Lehigh, and then obviously was a full participant of pregame warm-ups for the Wagner game, but they held him out. And you and I kind of alluded to that on Monday night 
that we didn't think Jaden Pierre was going to play. And obviously, it's a good sign that he could have played. Like, he clearly could have played on Tuesday night if they needed him. They didn't because you won by 34 against a lesser opponent in Wagner. But I do agree with you, Joe, how the point guard situation the last couple games has been a little choppy. Obviously, Garway didn't play against Georgia. So mm-hmm. then that made it even more choppy. You had Devin Carter and Corey Floyd. And I think Garway's kind of still working out the kinks at that position. Like he struggled obviously on Tuesday, 0 for 5 shooting. Uh he did have five assists and only and no turnovers. So that's not bad for a point guard. I get we we go right to the shooting woes of missing all his shots from the field, but five assists to no turnovers, I'll take that any day of the week. But yep. I do agree with you. Devin Carter was kind of playing point guard and trying to do a little too much and i don't think he's a full point guard like you and i've talked about before and neither is really Corey floyd so it's kind of been like a little bit interesting at the position i expect and you and i obviously are not beat reporters we don't have inside sources into the team but i think i would fully expect for Jaden pierre to play saturday night there could be a thing where he's on a minutes restriction. Like he could be maxed out at 20 to 25 minutes. Right. I don't know if he goes, I don't know if they want to push him to 30. I, I don't know. I'm just kind of speculating there, mm-hmm. but it would be nice to see Pierre kind of back on the fold because he was playing really well before he got injured in that Kansas state game. And he was playing well in the four minutes he played in that Kansas state game. So I right. think it would be nice to kind of see him back and kind of get this offense kind of humming against a decent URI team, a big rivalry game. And then you have Oklahoma next week. So I do agree with you, long story short, that I think Devin Carter's been pushing or forcing a little bit too much because he kind of thinking maybe I have to take a little bit more, put a little more on my shoulders without having a true point guard or experienced point guard in Pierre and relying on a true freshman in Garway. Right. And that's not necessarily a knock on Garway dual either because no, no. from what we've seen, he is really athletic and has shown glimpses of being a really, really talented player. I think he's in a tough position, right? Because Jaden Pierre is the senior, the the vet, not senior, the veteran point guard on the team. And, you know, from what we've seen this season, Dual really shines in that combo guard spot where sometimes he's running the point, but he's mostly playing off the ball with another point guard on the floor. And I'm Mm -hmm. thinking of the Milwaukee game when, um, when him and and Jaden Pierre logged a lot of minutes in the backcourt together. So I think, that's really the best case scenario for Garway Dual to, you know, pick it up and shine like we've seen him do. Um, but it, everything you said, Peter, is so true. Uh, it, it's a universal thing. It's not just unique to Providence. But when you don't have a consistent point guard, you know, it's very tough to win basketball games. I, I mean, it's yeah. the most important position on the court. And we've seen point guard troubles plague Providence for years now. I mean, going back to like, you know, Chris Dunn leaves and Kyron Cartwright steps in after playing the two and then Cartwright gets things going and then he's injured. And then Makai Ashton Lankford has to step in. And then the Pipkins, David Duke dynamic. It's, it's been, it's been a, a, an interesting dynamic dating back years, years and years ago. So point guard play is obviously super important and, the sooner we get Pierre back, the better. No, I, I fully agree on that. All right. Um, defensively, I mean, I think Providence looked really good. Um, I mean, Wagner also looked horrific. Uh, so uh, <laughs> take with take uh, do with that what you will. Um, 
they held the Seahawks to 27% from the field and 33% from deep. And <laughs> this is in Providence's defense, but it's funny to you know pick on another team because this certainly happens to us. Wagner shot 9 of 15 from the free throw line, good for 60%. And if you were at the game, I forget who it was that missed the two free throws. Was it Lewis in the second half? But you got... Providence fans ice the shooter, which means they get a Dunkin' Donuts gift card. Um, other notable stats from the Providence side of things, Bryce Hopkins looked like him his old self again, 20 points, six rebounds. He was 63% from the field and two of five from downtown. Uh, Josh Oduro chipped in with 12 points. He was five or five from eight from, from the field. Um, and then obviously we talked about Devin Carter, rich Barron pieced together a nice game in 20 minutes. He had eight points, four rebounds. He was three of seven from the floor, two of five from deep. He looked pretty good. Um, and otherwise I, I thought Kim did a really good job with the rotations. I think he got the young guys, the inexperienced guys in at the right times while still balancing the starters to kind of control the lead. Um, but yeah, it, like we said off air, Peter, this is a tough game to prep for uh but an easy game to talk about because you know everything went right yeah i use you alluded to the fact i like the rotation and i like to see some of the true freshmen uh even though like santoro and baron weren't super high recruits and all that and obviously recruiting is a little different than it used to be just because of the transfer portal and guys like santoro or baron who did play 20 minutes but you, you don't know what their role will be come I guess the Oklahoma's of the world or Big East play of the world. So it's nice to kind of see them. So when you get to kind of blow out a team or dominate a team, you get to see that. So Centuro, seven minutes, uh, five points on two for five shooting, had a block, had a rebound. And then you had Barron who played 20 minutes, who took five threes, made two of them, three for seven from the field, had eight points. I think he's going to be a solid player for us. I do too. Uh, I do think he can mold into – I don't know who to compare him to, but like a solid I mean, Rodney Bullock might be a tough sell at the, at the moment. <laughs> That's yeah. But I, I would say he has a similar body type. Yeah. To Rodney Bullock. He's a little smaller. He's six, five. I think Bullock was more like six, seven. I want to remember Rodney Bullock was six, eight. Okay. So six, seven, six, eight. It's a little smaller, but I feel like Baron could kind of be kind of that down low player a little bit as well. Uh, in, in certain situations, in certain roles. But, look, he's not afraid to shoot the ball. He is not afraid to shoot the ball. And I don't think anybody no. in English is ever going to put on the court uh, is afraid to shoot the ball because Centurio and Barron took nine threes combined. So yeah. <laughs> I was going to say. People are shooting the ball, and it's okay. It's Look, at that point, I don't when you're blowing a team out, I don't mind Centurio and Barron, who are true freshmen, who, don't, who probably won't get a ton of minutes down the stretch, uh, shooting a lot. That, that's not a problem. Like, that's not one of the things where people should be worried about. It's when we're shooting a lot in a close game and stuff like that. But I thought they looked good. Castro, I said off air, he ended up he's ended up playing 11 minutes per game, but he feels like a guy that plays 12 to 15 minutes a game depending on uh, the typical game. But he's doing everything he's supposed to, right? Like yeah. never going to be a elite score. He doesn't feel like it. I know it's only his second year. And I, third year, he redshirted one year, and he just hasn't played a lot as a sophomore. But it's uh, throughout his career, not just this year. But he's played obviously more this year than he has in years past. But he's rebounding, he's defending, he uses his length to his uh, to his help. He had five rebounds, two on the offensive side of the ball, three on the defensive side of the ball, and two blocks. 
four points, took two shots. Like, that's what we need from Raphael. Come in, play 12-15, give a door or a breather, defend, rebound, block, all that kind of stuff. I feel like that is kind of his role off the bench, which I think is a good role for him. Oh, I agree. I think Castro is the type of guy where it's quality over quantity, right? Like he might not log, you know, more than 20 minutes a game, but the minutes that he is logging, he's going to give you some great quality basketball, right? He's going to do every little thing that is needed to thrive at the five spot. And then when Oduro graduates next year, you know, Castro is more or less in the driver's seat for the paint. So I, I think you're right. I think Castro, you know, is going to struggle for minutes a little bit behind Oduro, uh, which is to be expected given the way that Oduro is playing. It's certainly not a reflection of Castro, but from what we've seen from him, Castro is really good and does the right stuff. Yeah. And one thing I want to mention one more time, unless you have anything else to mention before we wrap up, obviously no, the Wagner game, but why can't we make free throws? Oh my god, dude! I like, was—is is this just like a like—is there something in the water in Rhode Island? Is there something in the stadium water? Is there something with the basketball? Is it the hoop? Like, I—I'm not trying to be, you know, what a, a kind of a dick about it because, <laughs> but even when we had like, and you go back to like some of the days with under Cooley, our free throw shooting percentage was always uh, inflated because you had a couple guys like Bryce Cotton, who was one of the greatest free throw shooters I've ever seen shot like 90% from the, from the line. The Juan Pipkins was one of the greatest free throw shooters I've ever seen. Like those number, those guys kind of inflated the numbers yeah. because everyone else around him, like even though Al Durham was a good free throw shooter, cause he got to the line a lot, a lot. He wasn't like the greatest free throw shooter ever though. He just got no. to the line enough to make it worthwhile. We cannot make free throws. 65% is inexcusable. Like it's, it's a problem because you're going to get to a game where you need to make free throws and it's, it's going to drive you and I absolutely bonkers when we lose a game by two or three and you and I come back here on a Monday night or a Thursday night and we break down the game and we go to the box score and we look at our free throw percentage and we shot 65% from the free throw line and you just be like, okay, that is exactly, or that is the main reason we lost. And that's going to drive you and I bonkers. Peter, I will reference you to, I think it was Monday after, I think it was last Monday's episode after the Kansas State and Georgia games. Guess what our free throw percentage was against Kansas State? Like in the 50s or 60s, I want to say, I remember. No, it was 70%. Okay. But... We missed seven free throws and lost that game by three points. How many? How many did we take? Twenty-four. So what are we? So we we're seventeen for twenty-four. Did we miss seven? Seventeen. Yeah, like twenty-four is a lot of free throws. So you're gonna miss some, right? It's just it's the you know what the worst thing is about free throws is that end of game situation or like five minutes left, the one and one free throw, and you miss the first one. Mm-hmm. It's basically a turnover. Like it is a turnover. It's exactly it, – it's not classified as a turnover. But it is more or less it's a turnover. Because, you know, like, you got to make the first one. Like, if you miss the second one, whatever, you get a point. But if you miss the first one, you that that is the most gut-wrenching – not gut-wrenching, not the right term, but the most annoying thing to watch is when you get into the one-on-one crunch time and, not, and you look at it and say, oh, are we in double bonus? Because we know we're going to miss one, so give us two shots at it. And we're not in double bonus. You're like, oh, man, he's going to miss the first one. And then he front rims or hits the back rim and you're like – Damn it. It happens way yeah. too much. Yeah. No, you're, you're 
listen, you're preaching to the choir here. I have been bitching and complaining about free throws well before the the Providence POV or the flex was even a a conceptual idea. Before we go to the URI game, and I know we want to, I want, I just, what do you think we're ranked in free throw percentage to in Division One? So there's on Ken Palm, there's 362 Division One teams, right? Yeah. Do you have it up? I have it up. Okay. What do you think we're ranked in free throw percentage in the country? Out of 362 teams that Ken Palm tracks? Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna 340 something. Okay, so you're 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 a, you're a little meaner than uh. Oh. <laughs> what? Two hundred. It's not much better. It's not like we're fifty. It's two hundred and forty-nine. We're sixty-eight point five percent from the line. The team of two teams above us is Wofford and Queens. Last time I checked, I don't know if Queens is pulling out great basketball teams. Here's here's what I'll say about free throws, and this is much easier said than done coming from my desk chair. True, I agree. But. If I had that multi-million dollar facility at my disposal with all of those courts and basketball hoops in there with brand new Nike basketballs, I'd be making every free throw. And I know I I could catch a lot of heat for saying that because I know it is much easier for yeah. the five foot ten guy that played college club rugby to say that than the division one athletes that make more NIL than I make in a year. But Man, I, if I had that resource, man, we, yeah. we wouldn't be missing any free throws. And put in perspective, Villanova is actually second in the country in free throw percentage. Just looked at it, eighty-three percent from a free throw line. They're always they're they are always good at free throws, and it's this important. season they seem to be good at losing Big Five games. True, and beating UNC for some reason. The worst team in the country is Army. They're at shooting forty nine percent from the line, which is just abysmal. Like, I, if I was the Army coach right now, I'd be losing my mind. Uh, also, somehow, somehow Illinois is three hundred sixtieth at shooting fifty seven percent. Like, come on, Illinois. You oh, you're oh, this is a good segue to your eye. They're three hundred forty ninth from the line. They're oh, so 50- we we gotta hack them like crazy on hack Saturday. Fifty nine point seven percent from the line for. URI. I think that's a good segue into URI that they're a terrible free throw shooting team. They that make look like Steph Curry from the line. That is a great segue. Um, wrapping up here, Friars take care of business against Wagner. 86-52. They improved to 6-1 and on the season. 5-0 and at home. And before we get into the URI game, first a word from our institutional sponsor. As always, this podcast is brought to you by House Enterprise and in partnership with House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com to get in on the fun. Once you're there, head over to the blog tab. That is where you'll find this podcast as well as some of the writing pieces that myself and our other talented writers have put out for the site. Once you're done doing that, head over to the merchandise tab and you will find the Flex merchandise, which is only on the site for a short while longer. I had a discussion with the House Enterprise founder and runner uh, earlier this week. His name is Will Tondo. He has the Providence POV logo. He's processing it in the system. So the Flex merch is only up for a little bit longer. In the spirit of Black Friday, Cyber Monday, holiday shopping, go get your Flex merch before it is gone. And if you're looking for uh, you know some new Providence apparel to spice up your wardrobe, buy some Providence POV merch. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get some. Peter's going to get some. We're all going to look great. 
Oh, I'm so excited for it. <laughs> All right. Moving on. It is the big ticket game. If you live in Rhode Island, <laughs> big ticket. Uh, URI comes to the amp for the first time in two seasons. Uh, this is Peter, a different URI team than Providence saw last season. Uh, they only return three players that actually played in the loss to Providence from last year. That's Brandon Weston, Jimmy Ball, and Josephat Below, who actually led the team with 16 points against the Friars last year. This is this is URI Super Bowl. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Uh, you look at their schedule this year; they haven't played a ton of quality opponents, other than. Uh, Saturday's matchup against Providence. The Rams will travel to Charleston, South Carolina to play Car College of Charleston. But other than those two matchups, they, they really don't have, uh, you know, that decent of a schedule. No, I agree with you. And this is Archie Miller's second year at the helm for Rhode Island. And Archie Miller is, is, a, is a good coach. He's a really good coach. He's a good uh, coach. He was great. Was he, he was great at Dayton. Right, Dayton? Yeah. Yeah. And then struggled, was very up and down at Indiana. Tough place to please people there, uh, mm -hmm. depending on how you how you do in uh, basketball, more or less. But this is a whole rebuild for you or I. Like, when, and this is more of a college football term, but when you look at rebuilding college programs, some are like three, two to three year rebuilds, right? Like the Texas of the world, the big programs. But some are more of the four to five rebuilds. Less resources, smaller program, weaker conference in the A-10 and all that stuff. So they're they're more of that. They're still rebuilding. And you said they basically return nobody. It's basically return nobody, and they're 5-2. and two. They've beaten five teams that they're supposed to. Obviously, Yale's a decent win. Look, you beat it. Uh, Ivy League school, it's always tough. They beat it by four. Didn't know Johnson and Wales play basketball, so they beat Johnson and Wales. <laughs> that's, they beat that's Wagner by submission. Yeah, they beat Wagner by 16. So we beat them by 34. You put that in perspective. Yep. Uh, they beat Fairfield by 13, and they beat Central Connecticut by 11. But then they lost their two Power 5, or that's more of a football term, but Power 6, whatever, big-time games or teams in big-time conferences in Northwestern. They lost to, and they lost to Washington State. So this is – obviously the spread's not out there, and URI is sitting at right now in Kempom 175, right? I want this game to be a little more competitive because I think it's great for the state of Rhode Island because it's a great game. I don't know where URI can keep this competitive. I think they're going to if, – if it was at URI, Joe, I would be like – still think we would win, but I feel like there could be that home advantage. A lot of URI fans are obviously – I think this is going to be a tough game. Like they learned by Zeke Montgomery – or Zeke – I think it's Zeke Montgomery. There's no E at the end of his name, so I don't know how to – I think Zach, Zach. Zach Montgomery. That just didn't sound right, but it might be right. <laughs> 15, uh, six points per game. They have Jaden House, who has 14 points per game, and then Lewis – Court right, averaging 10. Look, this team is pretty good. They, they can shoot the ball well from the field. They have a, uh, I was looking at their effective field goal percentage before we came on. They're ranked 53rd, about 20 or so spots ahead of the Friars in effective right. field goal percentage. So, like, they, they're look, they're going to give you a test. I don't think it's going to be like last year's game. I think it might, I don't know if it's going to be closer because we're home, but I think it's a definitely improved URI team we're going to see on Saturday than what we saw last year. Yeah, and I think when you look at last year's uh, game against URI, too, it was kind of back and forth in the first half. I think Providence went on a run uh, going into halftime and then kind of pulled away. Mm -hmm. um, 
But I, I think you're right. I think being home uh, is certainly going to change some of the dynamics of this, even if it is a much improved URI team, right? Um, you know, Providence and URI fans hate each other. And, you know, I know the, the last guy to sit in the coach's chair used to say that it wasn't a rivalry game, but it is in every sense of the definition of the word a rivalry game. That with the with the fuck PC stuff that URI puts out, we're gonna put the explicit tag on this on this episode. But with all of that stuff that the the URI side puts out, with all of the little brother stuff that the Providence side puts out, it's a rivalry game. The two schools hate each other, and you know it, it goes beyond basketball too, right? Like I mentioned earlier, I played club rugby at Providence. When we would play URI, the games were always physical, no matter which team was better, no matter which team had a better record. Those games were always physical and rugby in and of itself is a physical game, but there were, there were extracurriculars, if you know what I mean, you know, in tackles, scrums, rocks, uh, for anyone who knows rugby, you know what I'm talking about. For no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Basically uh, cheap shots uh, okay. in big piles is the short version of that. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, no, I think, uh, I, I, Providence, uh, this Providence team is better than this URI team on paper uh, based on what's happened so far this season, but you can never discount the emotion that goes into a rivalry game. And that's the point I was trying yeah. to make is that in every sense of the word, these two schools are rivals and hate each other. So you can't discount that when you, when you look ahead. And I agree. Like we saw it in college football this past week in like the Auburn Alabama game. Like rivalry games just bring out a different breed of a team just because they know how much is at stake, how much the fans invest into that, and all of that stuff. Especially if you're in this, if you play in the same state uh, as they do. But also, if you're your eye, right, Joe? Yep. They have absolutely nothing to lose on Saturday, and that is dangerous if you're for the Friars. The Friars are so dangerous. Everything to lose is a strong statement for the Friars because, like, if we lose Saturday, it's like the season's not over. I'm not doing that. But we're going to be double-digit favorites. We're going to be, like, most people anticipate us winning. If you lose on Sunday or Saturday night, it's just, like, one of those losses that you just – a little gut-wrenching you can't have. So if you're your eye, you're like, well, everyone expects us to lose. The state of Rhode Island expects us to lose. Uh, Vegas is going to expect us to lose when the spread comes out. But guess – but, like, who cares? Like we're just going to play freely. We're going to go into their building and we're going to try to make it messy. And if we can make it messy long enough into the final TV timeout with about four to six minutes left in the game, then you never know. So if you're the Flyers, this is not a game where you can just kind of waltz in and be like, ah, we're the better team, which you are. You got to show up. If you show up and kind of punch them in the mouth early, this won't be a game, right? Like if you kind of, I'm not saying you got to go 12 nothing or anything absurd at that. But if you kind of go up, like, if you go up to 8 to 12 points at half, right, the game's over. Like, I don't think URI is going to be doing that. But if you go up 2 to 4 at half, you know what? You gave URI, like, thinking, oh, okay, we did it in the first half. Let's get it down to two minutes left in the game and the same score, and let's see what happens. Yeah, so I think URI's a, yeah, URI's a dangerous team, like, in the sense that they have nothing to lose. They're better than they were last year. No one's picking them to win. I don't think anybody in their right mind is probably going to pick them to win. So they're going to come in with a little motivation. Unless you're a URI fan. Unless you're, unless you're a URI fan. But like you're going to come in with a little motivation. And I think Archer Miller, if I was him, would be telling his team this week, 
be like, guys, no one's picking us. It's a state of Rhode Island game. No one's picking us. Everyone thinks Providence is going to beat us. They have a better program, all that kind of stuff. Why can't we do it? And that's a little scary if you're a Friars fan. Yeah, no, it it, it totally is. Um, no, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with, with the, the underdog narrative too, right? Like how many times have we seen this Providence team go on the road as underdogs and force an upset? Or, or even play at home as underdogs and force an upset, yeah, right? The, the, the underdog narrative in college basketball is a, a really fun one because it either goes completely as planned where you get your teeth kicked in and you lose, or <laughs> you give the the favorite uh, a run for their money. If you're fortunate enough, you win the game and you, you cause an upset and hysteria. And John Rothstein is tweeting the epitome of brutality and, and all that other nonsense that goes with it. But um, yeah, if I if I'm if I'm Miller, I am, you know, injecting the underdog narrative into these guys' veins. Um, now, on the flip side, if I'm Kim English, I'm smacking my guys into shape. Right? Like, there is nothing worse than blowing a team out and then getting complacent, right? Like that is probably the worst thing that can happen in any sport, not just college basketball. So if I'm Kim English, you know, the guys are practicing harder than they've ever practiced before today, Thursday, yesterday, Wednesday, tomorrow, Friday, and they're having a good walk through Saturday morning because this is a game where you need to not only take care of business, but you need, you need to put URI to bed swiftly. Right. Like it's got to like you said, yeah. Peter, it's got to happen in the first half. Put them away early, uh, pull away in the second half and and notch another win on your belt. That's what you need to do. Obviously. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. You know, you, Did I cut you off there? Yeah. No, you're good. You're good. No, I was just I agree with you. I was just like when I said a couple minutes ago, like if you keep a team that is underdogs in a game too long, it creates the confidence for them. And look, look, they're. They're on the road, but there's going to be URI fans there. It's not – look, I think it's going to be probably 90 to 95% PC fans, but, like, it's not a far trip for URI fans. I'm assuming there's URI fans that live in Providence. Like, it's not a big state, like, at all. The farthest trip is, like, a 50-minute drive is at the Walnut Drive in the state. Uh, so I would expect a good amount of URI fans. And I, I don't think Providence is going to be looking ahead because it's a rivalry game. I, I'm not doing that, but they do have a trip to Oklahoma on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Who's a ranked team, but you also got to travel halfway across the country. So I don't know. I think I, I think the Friars win, and I think they win a little bit going away. But I wouldn't be shocked if this first half is you and I are texting, and it's like a six point game at half. Like I, I would not be shocked if it's like a six to seven point game at half, and we're not uneasy or uncomfortable, but would be but a little more like, oh, okay, your eyes, your eyes sticking sticking in this game. Yeah, I agree with you. I think if anything, it's going to kind of be like a punch counter punch first three quarters, and then Providence will pull away in the fourth quarter. No, I, I agree. Fourth quarter, you mean second half? Yeah, second. No, uh, yeah, you know, like back half of the second half. Yeah, I got you. I, I'm I'm messing with you, but no, I agree. Uh, and I I'm excited to see hopefully uh, Jaden Pierre back. I, I kind of want to see you and I have talked about that the last week and a half how this offense looks a little different with Jaden Pierre. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of excited to see what he will be when he comes back. Hopefully most we're anticipating a Saturday night return. Yeah. yeah. Ideally Pierre is back in the backcourt. Um, just uh, as I'm looking at URI here, 
uh, someone for the all name team who we actually haven't brought up this year. That was something um, we did for a, a couple seasons ago on the flex. Uh, always right is a guard on URI. And I'm not even kidding. His first name is always a L W A Y S right. W R I G H T. That is an awesome name. They have some cool names. That is a really cool name. Jimmy they Ball. Have, they have Ray Allen the third, Ray Allen's son. Oh, which wow. is cool. Which is cool. Uh yeah. Jimmy Ball. Jimmy Ball is always right. It's like the, one of the best college basketball names I've ever seen. Yeah. Um he's only averaging two points a game, so it kind of hurts his stock yeah, a little. Hurts the name stock. I think Jaden House is a cool name. Yeah, look, I think your eyes gonna be in this game, Joe. I just that's just my opinion. Just because of looking at their names, sure. Yeah, no, no I, <laughs> I, 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 I buy. In, I do buy into all the rivalry stuff and all that kind of stuff. I do think it gives teams a little bit of extra motivation more than it would just a re- re- regular out of state non conference game. I do too. I, I also right like think back to the 2019 uh, matchup at the Ryan Center at URI. Providence was far and away the better team. But URI won that game, and granted, they won it at home, so home court advantage. But uh, you know, Providence uh, kind of gave it to them. They they let the, the this was also the year when Ed Cooley was storming around saying it's not a rivalry. So I'm sure that sparked some fire under those players. But um, anyway, beating a dead horse here. The don't under undervalue the rivalry emotion that goes into this one, even if URI isn't as good of a team this year as Providence. Um, in other news, just looking around the Big East a little bit, the Big East Big Twelve battle starts tonight. I know we were talking about this off air, Peter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what matchups are you excited to see? Just quickly at the end here. Yeah, uh, we were kind of talking about that. So tonight, I tonight Creighton Oklahoma State's cool. It's always see how Creighton will bounce back after that Colorado State thumping they got kind of over around the Thanksgiving break time. I like Butler this year, right? Yeah, Even I said Texas Tech might not be great. They're five and one. Their only losses to Villanova. So I don't know Butler at home five and two. Butler's playing some good basketball. I think I'm intrigued to see Butler tonight. That's after what time is that game? Six thirty, I want to say. So you and I are almost done recording. So. I can go watch it now. I think that would be cool. They beat Boise State. They beat Penn State. They only lost to a ranked FAU by five. Like, I think Butler's better. And then, obviously, Joe, tomorrow night, uh, you have at 9 o'clock on ESPN2, you have UConn, Kansas. Like That's a big one. Oh, and also, I guess, Houston, Xavier. But Xavier's not as good as, I think. Xavier lost to Oakland. Yeah. But UConn, UConn, Kansas. That's just, I think that's a great game. Hunter Dickinson, Donovan Klingon, two top five teams. Uh, that's that's a must see matchup. You probably can have the Pac-12 championship on, and UConn Kansas, and you have a good Friday night. Also, not to mention Kansas uh, got their asses kicked by Marquette in Maui. Was that Maui? Was it Maui? I think it was the Maui Invitation. Yeah, I think you're right. Hey, they might want some Big East revenge on Friday night. Right, like they got their asses kicked by Marquette. They probably yeah. see a UConn team right now, and they're like, "All right, let's get our lick of the Big East right now." So that's going to be a really good game. Um, Obviously, Providence will travel to Oklahoma uh, next week, and then I think uh, TCU at Georgetown is another uh, funny one to, we'll to monitor. We'll see if Georgetown can kind of get back on tracks. 
interesting, but like kind of actually put a good game together because they've had some close wins against the Americans, Jackson States, and the Merrimacks of the world, which is never good. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, Ed Cooley is doing what he does. He's uh, playing to the level of his opponent. It's just, you said I don't know. <laughs> you know why? Because I've seen it all before. Uh, oh, yeah, we saw it a lot for a good amount of time. For for someone who hit his ceiling, uh, he sure does like look like he's taken 150 steps back. I to be fair, I'm gonna be fair, I'm gonna play the the bad guy here in terms of Friars fans. I do think Georgetown's a little bit of a rebuild. I think we all expected it. like that. George no, it, 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 it 100 is a rebuild. I know. I I yeah. I know. I, I know. I know. I know. You don't not think that. I just just to be the the guy that doesn't always bash on Cooley. I do think Georgetown is a little bit of a rebuild. Then no, that was more of um. It, well, it, well, of course, it was a bash on Cooley, but it was more oh, of a dig at the Georgetown burner accounts that. You know, for months and months now, I've been saying, you know, Georgetown is back, evil empire, Cooley's the villain driving the ship, that whole narrative, right? Like, you can't be a villain driving the ship if you can't beat mid-majors by double figures. No, I agree. All right. I think that'll do it from us uh, here at Providence POV. The Friars will host the URI Rams this Saturday, December 2nd at 7.30 p.m., that game will be on Fox Sports 1 if you won't already be at the AMP watching it. I'll be watching from home. Peter, will you be there? I don't know. I'm a game-time decision. Um, hoping some of the ticket prices go down a little. Uh, They're not yeah. crazy expensive, but I would like not to overpay for uh, Providence URI tickets. So hopefully I'm there. If not, obviously I'll be watching on my couch. All right. Well, that's Peter. He's going to be watching from his couch. I'll be watching from my couch. Um, you'll hear from us again next Tuesday. Um, but until then, be sure to follow Providence POV on Twitter and Instagram to stay up to date with everything that we put out on social media. You can find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you consume your podcasting content. Be sure to follow us at Joe Howie, at Peter DiBiase. Our, t- our profiles are tagged in Twitter. But that's going to do it from us. Have a great night. And as always, go Friars. Go Friars.